chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning. We'll dive right into the message today. First Corinthians 3. Stick this mic out of the way. I don't need this here. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. If you have your Bibles there, we'll dive right in this morning. If you'll notice last week and remember last week, a lot of you were here last week. If you weren't here, listen online. And some of you already know this stuff. There are two types of people in this world. There are natural and spiritual. And so we all enter into this world natural. That's how it all begins. And then those that are saved, there's a day that the, you become born again. And the Spirit of God moves inside. So last week we looked at the natural man, the spiritual man. And the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they're spiritual. And so that our, then that our spirits are made alive in the Holy Ghost, and the fact that the Holy Spirit of God teaches us, we are able to understand the things of God and grow in that. Today, we're going to notice another type of person mentioned but in all reality i already said there's only really two types of people natural and spiritual so this one is a part of the spiritual man because and we'll see that later on today first corinthians chapter number three look with me at verse number one the bible says and i brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal even as unto babes in christ I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For here too you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. So as we look there and we look at those verses, you notice there is this word carnal used several times in those verses. What is a carnal person? We'll figure that out at some point this morning. But as we look at our text this morning, and we get ready to dive in here, chapter 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with the ministry of the gospel and tells us what a minister of the gospel is and what he does and how the church should look and the work of the church. Now those are two interesting questions right there. Because there are a lot of people that don't know the answers to either one. What should a minister do? What should be his job? And when it comes to, a, what's a pastor's job in the church? Lots of people have lots of ideas. But what's the biblical term? We'll see over the next several weeks, there are three pictures that Paul gives in chapter 3 about a minister and what he should do. And he also gives three pictures as to what a church pictures and represents in chapters 3 and 4. So I'm hoping that by the time we get done with these chapters, we'll see a lot more of what this means and see where we go with it. Um, there's a British Bible preacher by the name of Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. Anybody hear that name before? Ever hear that name before? Well, he was a preacher, preached many years, and he had four sons. All four of his sons were ministers. And someone went up to one of his grandsons and said, you know, your grandpa's a minister, your uncles and your dad are all ministers. Are you going to be a minister? And this was his response. He said, no, I plan to work for a living. And that's not, he didn't mean it 
He didn't mean that his he he didn't mean that his grandpa, uncles, and dad didn't work. He meant he wasn't going to be he was going he was going to work and not be in the ministry. But it's just funny how that sounds when that comes out there. And uh, when we look at this, what is what is a minister? What's a pastor supposed to do? What really is the work of the ministry? If we don't know, you can't ever evaluate if your minister or your pastor is doing what he should do. And perhaps one of the biggest problems in a local church is figuring out what the pastor is supposed to do and what the church is supposed to do. What are we all supposed to do? What are ministry leaders supposed to do? And we live in a day and age where it's all over the map. There are people out there that when it comes to their minister or to their pastor, they elevate them to a status that no pastor should be elevated to. And they talk about their pastor like he's God or something. And last time I checked, there's only one God. And his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, never should you elevate. And I know, I think it's a tendency in people, though. I think that happens. My background, you see it a lot in that background. And other backgrounds, too, where they'll elevate this guy like he's something. And in all reality, Jesus is something. He's special. God is special. We're just instruments that the Lord uses, and thank God he uses instruments, but he could have used anybody he wanted to. He didn't have to use us to proclaim his word. He could have wrote it in the sky. Could have had angels take care of it, but he gives us the awesome privilege to be able to take his word. But some people elevate it where it doesn't belong, and then others will not even respect what the office of a pastor. And there's got to be a balance with all that. But in all reality, over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you some things what should a pastor be and what should a pastor do? And then what should a church and a church family be and things like that? And so as we look at this today and we get ready to dive in, let's have a word of prayer and we'll continue on. Father in heaven, we need you this morning. We thank you for the many blessings you've given to us. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the fact that we can study your word and see so many great things that are found in your word. Lord, I pray you'd guide us and help us this morning. We love you. We need you, we praise you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, I'm going to give you a few thoughts this morning. If you've got your outline there, we'll start with number one this morning. We see the pastor or a minister is a servant to others. That's what the word implies here. Look at verse number five. Who then is Paul? And, it's, and then it says, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. So we see, number one, a pastor is a servant to others. The word minister here is the same word where we get the word deacon from, and it means a servant. For 18 months, Paul took and helped this church from the ground up, and what did he do? He fed people the word of God. He discipled them. He encouraged them, and he helped them win others, and he helped them do the work of God. And so as we look here and we see these things, a true pastor, I believe, needs to be a servant. A lot of pastors out there have lost that. And true pastors should be servants. That's how God designed it to be. You know what God designed in all reality? All Christians to be servants. We all should be. What was Jesus? A servant. Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister, right? And we see that's the same word here. He came not to have people serve him. And if anyone had the right to have people serve him, it would be Jesus, right? He is king of kings, and he's lord of lords. And so, but we look here, we think about it, a true pastor, a true Christian needs to have a servant's heart. And it needs to be about others. Think about Philippians chapter number 2. 
And we could go through, in your notes there, we just put one, we put the reference there. You go through the whole chapter, Philippians chapter number 2. Verse 4 says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The very next verse says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. That mindset, that's what Jesus had. Jesus' mindset was God first, others second, self last. Isn't that the way God designed it to be? You're to love God with all your heart, your soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then self should come after those. In our marriages today, the best way to have a good marriage, God first, your spouse second, and then your needs. That's the way it should be. In our relationships with our kids, God first, others, self last. That's the way God designed it to be. And that's the way it should be as we minister and go forward. I can think about multiple times in my office, I've had couples come for marital counseling and things. And one of the biggest problems is everyone has the, my spouse isn't meeting my needs. Because we're focused on ourselves. And, and I get everyone has needs and they ha have needs that need to be met. But if you could get your mind off of what you need and get your mind on to what someone else needs, it might help you find the fulfillment you're looking for. Like in marriage, if I'm looking at it and saying, well, Caroline's not doing this and she's not doing that, she's not meeting my needs. That's not how God designed marriage to be. My job is to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Isn't that what the scripture says? My job is to look to my wife and to meet her needs. And it's amazing when I'm trying to fulfill and meet her needs, I'm not so worried about my needs anymore because I'm worried about and focusing on fulfilling her needs. That's why it's so important when it comes to relationships, God first, others second, self last. It's a good way to live. It's the model the Bible teaches. But you know, it's not always easy to do, is it? If it were easy, we would all do it and never have a problem doing it. It's not always easy to do. And, and, and even when it goes to God, God should have priority in our lives. He should be number one. We should love him with all of our being. And then love our neighbors, ourself, and then self. Have, can you think in your own life of times that you get those order out of order? I can think about it in my life. There are, times, there are even times you think about it, you know, God should be number one. How about when we place people and things above God? Or if we place ourselves above God? There's a lot of things. You can take that order of three and mix it all up. The way God designed it to be is we love God. He should be number one. God should have priority in our lives. And then others. And then self. And that's important. And when we look at, and Paul talks about ministering here, who's Paul, who's Apollos? And those were preachers and that. And remember, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. But what does Paul, who are they? Who am I? Who's Apollos? We're just servants of the Lord doing God's work. And as we look at this, all Christians should be servants pastors should be servants that's the way god designed it to be and it's important to be that way and pray for spiritual leaders pray for each other that god gives us the grace and strength to serve others and to do what the lord would have for us all right i'm not going to talk about myself anymore the pastor thing now we're going to talk about you the rest of the no i'm just kidding but um we see that a pastor is to be a servant to others and one of the things that you should look for and in a church that you go to and when you look at the pastor or pastors and there are many churches that have, have pastors. And you say, what's the difference between a church that has a pastor and a pastor's? 
I think it's more money for more pastors. That's what I think the big difference is. And so someday we will have more pastors. And trust me, it would be great to have more pastors. But a pastor, and when you look, what should your pastor, he should be a servant. And not that the pastor needs to do everything, but that a pastor should be involved and serve. If everyone's serving him, he's missing out on one of the callings that God has for his life. And so we see a pastor should be a servant to others. But as we continue on here, we also see that Paul kind of explains, as we look here, he gives a picture and points out what ministry is supposed to accomplish. From verses 1 to 5, or 1 through 4, we see the church is a family, and the goal is to mature. So we look at verses 5 through 9, we see the church is like a field, and the goal is quantity. And then in verse 9 through 23, we see the church is a temple, and the goal is quality. But today, we're not going to cover the entire chapter, because, well, we could. You could dismiss the Super Bowl and just preach right through it, and get through the whole chapter today. And so... Some of my carnal 49er fans might not be too happy about that one. But we look today, and the first picture we're going to look at of the church here, we see, and this is point number two in your outline, the church is a family, and the goal is maturity. You know, God's goal for all of us is to mature in the Christian life. You realize that? It's just like you wanted that for your children, right? The day your children were born, you didn't expect them to walk home. You didn't give birth and say, all right, I'll see you at home. You didn't throw a steak in front of them and say, eat. You didn't do that. What did you do? You got them in that car seat. Did you say, buckle yourself? No, you buckled them. And you didn't even know how you're supposed to buckle them. And nowadays people even will go, what, they go to CHP to see how to buckle a car seat because they're so fancy today and things like that. You should have seen last night. This is totally off subject, has nothing to do with the message. But last night we had a youth activity. So we were going to go to a food court to eat dinner. So Anna, Anaheim Food Court. If you want something completely crazy, go try it sometime. It was in the, we get to this warehouse area and I'm like, this does not look like a place to get food. It was dark there and everything else. But we walked in. There's literally a foyer. I mean, not even half the size of this part of the auditorium half of that and there's two ipads kiosks two to, it says order here and then it says pick up here so there's literally this big warehouse that has probably 20 or 30 restaurants in the back somewhere or it's one cook doing all of it who knows but no the door open you can see back there you order on this kiosk right there and then you wait and there was this you could see through this thing this robot is carrying your food from somewhere and brings it and puts it in a bin. And then you get a text message to your phone, your food is ready in A3. Click here. You go up by the thing, you click, the bin opens up and your food is right in front of you, just like that. There's no place to sit in there, no place to do anything, but they have lots of, it's like something out of the space age. I don't even know what, so then who knows, Caroline, what our car looked like today after all those teenagers ate their food in our car, because I didn't know it was going to be like that. But quite an experience right there. So if you guys want to experience something, kind of out of this, try it sometime. And if you don't, just go where you can actually order the food and see what's going on. It was a little scary to think. Who knows? There was one cook in the back, and he just cooked 25 different varieties of food? Or what happened? But you say, what did that have to do with the message? Absolutely nothing. But I was just surprised at that last night. 
And so, yeah, that was quite an experience right there. I wasn't quite expecting that. But the food was all right. It wasn't too bad. don't know where it all came from, but it came from somewhere back there. But as we look here, and as we think about this point, the fact that the church is a family and the goal is maturity, we want to grow and mature. We want our children to. How would it be if your 10-year-old, or w- William's 13, I used David last service because he stayed. William's 13. How would it be if all he wanted was, was mom's milk formula and things still today? Nothing else. Milk, milk, milk. He'd be like, there's something not quite right, right? If he wanted us to carry him everywhere. Dude, you're too heavy. I couldn't do it. If you want us to carry him everywhere and we had to buckle his car seat and we had to do all those things, you would say something's not quite right. And there are, there are people that have special needs and that is something. But as we normally grow, things just progress. The goal is that in the Christian life. God wants each of us as his children to grow and to mature in our Christian walk. You see, the church is a family and the goal is maturity. I want you to understand something this morning. There are two types of saved people. There are two types. Are you ready for this? So we mentioned there are two types of people in this world, right? Natural and spiritual. There are two kinds of saved people. The first one, number one, is the mature Christian. The spiritual Christian. And as I label it here, a mature Christian is a Christian who matures by allowing the Spirit of God to teach them and direct them by feeding on the Word. And that's how you grow and mature. But then the second type of Christian would be the immature Christian, which would be the carnal Christian. Now, a immature Christian, you could label this two ways, okay? Let's get through the, me- the definition here, and then you'll see at the bottom. The immature Christian lives for the things of the flesh and has little interest in the things of the Spirit. Now, there are carnal Christians, but then there are also just some Christians that are immature. So what do you mean by an immature Christian? There are some that are brand new to Christianity. How do you expect them to know the things of God when they just get saved? That's why it's so important that the Bible talks about as a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So a babe in the Lord needs the milk of God's word, needs someone just as a baby needs parents and needs a mom and a dad to help them and train them and guide them and help them grow. A new believer, a new Christian needs the milk of the word and needs someone to come alongside them and help disciple them and help teach them the doctrine of God and help them grow and do the things of God. You know, that's the full great commission there. Do you realize that? There are many churches that say, I'm just supposed to go, go win them to the Lord. That's only one-third of the Great Commission. They say, well, we're supposed to go win them and baptize them. That's two-thirds of it. That's not the whole Great Commission. You're supposed to go teach them, baptize them, and then teach them the things of God. Teach them the Word of God. Disciple them. That's the Great Commission, all three together. So there are spiritual mature Christians. There are carnal Christians. And there are younger Christians that are immature just because they haven't grown to that point. The thing is, if you've been a Christian a long time, you still shouldn't be the immature Christian, right? We should grow past that. Now, we could be honest, and I'll be honest with you today. There are times in my life, I pastor a church, I've been a Christian 32 years, 31 years, somewhere in there. 
There are times in my Christian life that I could label myself a carnal Christian. How many of you would be honest and say there have been times that you've been carnal in your Christian life? I think we all could say that, right? We don't want to be carnal, but there are times that we are. And so as we look here today, and as we think about this, Paul is speaking to these people of the church here, and he was kind of like their spiritual father. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it says, For though ye have ten thousands instructors in Christ, ye have, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. And in all reality, Paul was kind of like a spiritual father. I put those in quotations there for this church in Corinth. During the 18 months he was with them, he ministered to them. And Paul tried to feed them and help grow them and help mature them in their faith. And it's an important thing, just as a family would take a new baby and help that baby mature and grow, that's what's supposed to happen with new Christians. We're supposed to help each other mature and grow in the things of God. And so as we look here, we see carnal and mature. Well, then the next question comes into, how can we tell the difference between a mature Christian and a carnal Christian? Letter B in our notes here, we see the marks of maturity. Now, this morning as we go through the message, I want you to understand something. I'm not here to tell you if you are carnal or if you're spiritual. I would ask you as we go through the message this morning to see in your own life, am I spiritual, am I maturing, or am I carnal in these areas? Now, the Lord gives me the privilege of pastoring Victory Baptist Church. I enjoy that privilege, and it's an awesome privilege, and I thank the Lord for it. But I would say, I've been pastoring 13 plus years here, I've been here for a while, I know a lot of people that come to church here and things like that. And I would say one of the biggest problems we have as a church at times. And I know sometimes people look and they're like, why do you just be so straightforward with things? Don't you want a pastor that's straightforward? I could, I could give you roundabout things to it, or I could just go straight to the point. One of our problems is carnality in our church. The issues that we have. And at times there are no issues. And we see the maturity. But sometimes we see some carnality. And in all reality, if we're going to grow, to, and we are going to look in a couple weeks how God wants the quality of the church. We'll look at the end of this chapter and all that we do to bring honor and glory to God. If we have a carnal church, we are not going to be bringing honor and glory to God. We need to be producing mature believers that grow into what God wants them to be to grow into what God would have for us, for His honor and for His glory. So as we look at this this morning, what are some of the marks of maturity? What are some of the things you can look at? And this is the thing. You might say, well, well, Pastor, you don't know if someone is spiritual or not. And I don't. That's for the Lord to figure out. Like, I don't know if you're saved or if not. That's between you and God. There are some indicators, right? A person is known by their fruits, right? Scripture talks about that. There are some things that give away if someone is saved or not. We might not fully know, but there are some things. But I believe there are also marks that are there that help us determine and see if someone is mature in the Lord or if they're immature in the Lord. Well, what are some of those marks? First of all, number one, you can tell a mature person by their diet. Now you say, well, pastor, I know I had, I had pizza last night with those teenagers. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't know if that was a very mature decision 
to have pizza last night. It wasn't. The heartburn I had last night wasn't worth that pizza that I had. So that was not a great... I'm not talking about your physical diet. But you know, we think about it and we talk about it. As children grow, they learn to eat different foods. They graduate from milk to meat. Thinking back to our kids, you know, they start out, they drink milk. That's how babies begin. And I remember there's a point where Caroline would introduce to them that rice cereal stuff. And it still would have some milk in there, but then there would be that rice cereal. And it's just a little thicker than milk, and it looks like it has no flavor. Who knows? But anyways, and then baby food shortly after that. And I don't know. My, my opinion was, if I couldn't handle the smell of it, I was not shoving it in my kid's mouth. So, Caroline, I let her do that. You say, so what do you do? I gave them the dessert and fruit ones. That was my specialty right there. I let her give them the, that meat stuff and all that, you know, and then those peas and all that stuff. And my thought through all that as it's going on is what goes in is surely going to come out. And so, and it's almost the same consistency and all that anyways, but, um, but they graduate. At some point, William hasn't asked me for baby food in many years. He eats food. You keep moving forward. You see, in the Christian life, that's how it should be. A mature Christian can be, you can see it by the way, by what they eat. You see, oftentimes people would say, well, the milk of the Word, it represents the easy things of the Word of God. Well, the meat represents the hard doctrines. I don't know that I would necessarily agree with that statement the way that it is. Because if you remember when we studied the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 5, we'll put the verses up on the screen. Verse number 10, it said, Called of God and order, I know, I know a lot of you don't remember what I preached last week, so I'm not expecting you to remember back to Hebrews. But back in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers... You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracle of God. And look what it says here. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, those that are mature. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So this passage, as we look here, whoever, I, I, I always tend to say Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, so I hate even saying anything that, to me, I think it's Paul, but lots of people have lots of different opinions. But we know it's given by inspiration of God. The author of Hebrews here is trying to explain, I want to talk about the priesthood of Melchizedek and how Christ fits into that, but you're not ready for it. And it's stuff that's going to be a little bit heavy on you, but you're not ready to hear, you're kind of dull of hearing, instead of being ready to give you that meat, you need milk still at this time. And Paul said in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 3, I fed you with milk and not with meat, because you weren't able to bear it, you weren't ready for it yet. You see, the passage here seems to indicate that the milk would be the simple things of Christianity. Maybe even what Jesus did here on earth. Those that like milk. Milk's good. And milk is important to grow. That's why when children come to church, we don't sit down our kids and say, let me give you a lesson on sanctification today. 
Let me give you a lesson on this or that. What do kids learn a lot in Sunday school and in classes? Bible stories, right? Because we're laying a foundation there. They're learning the Bible stories, and you can build from the Bible stories up. One of the things I like to do with our kids around here, and there's a reason why we do it this way. Our children, when they come to our church, we give them a lot of Bible stories. When they get to be teenagers, and their last few years of being a teenager, especially if they're in our Christian school, the Bible classes they take and the lessons they learn, we give them more doctrine by the time that they graduate high school. But I'm not giving a six-year-old major doctrine. I'm telling them about David and Goliath. Telling them about Samson. Telling them about David. Letting them get all the Bible stories down, and then they grow past that. But there are a lot of Christians that they just want to hear the Bible stories. And they can't grow past that point and move further with it. Do you realize today what you do with this book determines where you go in the Christian life? This book determines the church. You need to be in it. Throughout the Bible, it is compared to different types of foods, right? We have milk. We have the water of the word is mentioned. Meat is mentioned. It's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. We have bread. It's mentioned. Man shall not live by bread alone. And we see these different thoughts. And just as a physical man and woman need a balanced diet if you want to be healthy, that's why, you know, you look at it. I was talking to someone the other day about a family member of theirs, and their blood pressure is high. But they love salt. That is not a good mix, right? High blood pressure and salt, you got to cut out the salt. So you got to learn to cut back on those things. And, you know, you think about just as we do certain things to help our bodies be healthy, the inner man needs a balanced diet of spiritual food. The baby begins with milk and grows and develops teeth and moves to solid food. And a Christian needs a good balance of all the Word of God. You see, you need to learn the stories. You need the milk. You need to know what Jesus... And you look at our world today. Have you realized how our world is becoming less and less a society that knows anything about God? It used to be that someone who'd never been to church, I could ask them if they've ever heard of Adam and Eve, and they knew what I was talking about. Or I asked them about Jesus dying on the cross, they at least knew something about it. They might not understand salvation and all that, but they've at least heard it. You ask the common person today about Adam and Eve, what are you talking about? Because the more and more our society gets away from God and the things of God, the less anyone's going to know any of the basic stories. That's why you've got to understand something. I believe a, someone getting saved and coming to the Lord today, it takes them a little bit longer to mature than it does for someone 30 or 40 years ago. Because even in our society, the Bible and things were at least a little bit more prevalent. Today it's nowhere, it's non-existent. So everyone has the wrong ideas on everything, and they got to let the Word of God, it takes time. But as we look here and we think on these things, we need the Word of God. We need it for maturity. It's not difficult to determine a believer's spiritual maturity or immaturity if you just look at what they eat. Spiritually, not physically. The immature believer knows very little about the doctrines of God. A mature Christian does. You think about it. Do you know what most people want today in church? 
I heard about this church not too far away from here. They literally have seven different styles of worship. You show up, and they ask you, good morning, what type of worship would you like today? And you could go to a traditional worship, you could go to a, a jazz-style worship, you could go to a rock worship, you could go, they have seven different types of worship. You go to whatever worship style you want to. And then they get to, then after that, in the main auditorium, after they've all done their little worship sessions, they get together in the main auditorium and have a 15, 20-minute sermon together. But it's just interesting. People are more concerned today in church about being entertained. And then we as church people, we don't, we're not going to be able to entertain the way those, this world does. Do you realize that? There's some Christians out here that think they're going to enter. You, you can't do it like Disneyland does it. Some people think that you, you can't. You're not going to, we can't entertain. You know, we see some, they have, and I'm not, whatever churches want to do, they can do whatever they want. They have their fog machines and their different strobe lights and all these things, whatever the case is. And we try to entertain. We cannot contain, we cannot entertain the way the world does. You realize that? Just look at Christian movies. Look at the newest Christian movies. They're still like 20 years behind on all the special effects from all the world movies, right? We're not here to entertain. We're here, and when you're looking for a church, don't look for the one that entertains you and makes you always feel this or that. Look for a place that preaches the Word of God and stands for what's right. That's what we need today. And so you think about this. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, was he writing it to a church or was he writing it to unsaved people? He was writing it to a church. So he was writing to people that were already saved right? Am I right on that? Yes, he was. So, well, why did he, why did he write that? Because the mature Christian needs to understand their self, what happened to them when they got saved. You realize that? If we would realize what the Lord did for us and what he did, it would change the way we live our lives. Do you realize that today? If we really took the time and understood what Jesus did, we, I think we'd be like Paul, the love of Christ that constrains me. Man, after his love for me, how could I not want to serve him? How could I not love him after all that he's done? And you see, as we look at that and we think about those thoughts this morning, we see the fact that it was literally written, yes, people get saved through the Romans road, but literally what it was all about is it's helping believers mature in their walk and understand the deeper things of God that they wouldn't get without it. You see, some of the marks of maturity, you can tell a mature person by their diet, and lastly, this morning, the mature Christian practices love and seeks to get along with others. I'll repeat that again. The mature Christian practices love and seeks to get along with others. Say, what do you mean? Well, look at what our text says. 1 Corinthians 3. said, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hereto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. Look at what it says. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, strife, division, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And you see Paul mentions there in the next verse, he says, For while one saith, I am of Paul, another of Apollos, are ye not carnal? You see, how can what are some of the marks of a mature Christian? We see the marks of a mature Christian in what they eat, in their diet, their spiritual diet. But we also see it in how they practice love and seek to get along with others. 
Do the fruits of the Spirit talk about division? Do the fruits of the Spirit talk about fighting with other people? No, we could go to James chapter number 4, and technically in your notes, at the beginning there, there's James 3.13, and then there's James 4.17. They're supposed to be just a reference to the whole end of chapter 3 and the whole chapter 4 of James, but they d- it didn't quite get translated that into the notes. But James chapter number 4 starts to beginning. Where do wars and fightings among us, where do they come from? They come from our own lust, it says. It's our flesh. So when we look and we think about this, we see that a lot of times the immature Christian is just acting like a child. Ever seen children disagree and fight? The one fight I got into as a kid, I won fifth fight, first grade. You want to know what it was about? My dad's tougher than your dad. And you know what? He said, no, my dad's tougher than your dad. You want to fight? And we threw punches at each other over it. That was first grade. The only time I ever threw a punch. Say, did your punch land? No, but his sure did anyway. Then I learned the lesson. Just don't throw them, and they don't get thrown back at you. And uh, But five minutes later, we were fine. But we look and we think that's funny because kids, kids fight over immature things. That was an immature thing to fight about, Right? So Paul says that the believers here, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. It was the same thing. So just as we might look at a child and say they're kind of immature in what they do, we as God's people, instead of being mature in the Lord, might act like children in the way we respond to things that happen to us. There are times, and I don't know how I... Last service, I was praying about how to word it, and I just said it, so I'm just going to... That's one thing when you say it once, you just say it the second time. You know, like, do you say things differently in the first service than second? Sometimes, because the first service doesn't get thrown on live stream. This one does. So there is a few times I don't put everything out that I say in both services. But sometimes I can see, it, sh- it shouldn't be that when I see your kids out there and see them fight at break and recess at school, that their parents do the same thing in their own way because they're not mature in the Lord. You want ministry and what Christianity is all about? Loving people and getting along with people. That's what it is. And what we need in our lives today, you think about it. When you go somewhere, ever go to a store and there's, ever had a rude clerk? Ever have ever see though someone that's the nicest clerk in the world and this person just being so mean to them but they're being nice all the way through and I'm not talking about the my pleasure from Chick-fil-A you know they have to say that you know you ruined my chicken sandwich my pleasure no that's not the time to say my pleasure either that's the wrong time to say my pleasure but in all reality what we need in Christianity today is mature Christians to show the love of Christ and to get along with people you know, one of the biggest mistakes I've made in 13 years of pastoring is, and one of the biggest heartaches I've had in 13 years is putting immature people in leadership because of the fighting that goes on. And then it comes back, and is it always, this is the thing, I say it's my fault that I put them in that spot to begin with. I look at myself, I don't look at that person. But do you remember a couple years ago we formed teams, ministry teams? And I know every once in a while people say, Pastor, you only did that because you want to be in charge of everything. Do you really think I have time to be in charge of everything? 
I've been looking for people who can get along with people and are mature enough to take leadership spots. If you're not mature enough and you can't get along with people and can't love people, you shouldn't be in leadership. That's a hard statement to make, but it's a true statement. Just like, you know, we could look at, uh, think about different things, and you're like, food for life. Food for life is an easy thing to bring up. How would it be to have workers in there that can't get, and I'm sure it happens at times, but you need people that can get along with people and love people. That's what ministry, that's what ministry is. When we teach children, when we teach adults, when we usher, just love people and get along with people. And that comes with spiritual maturity. Now you say, Pastor, you, maybe there's times you're spiritual and you have maturity. Do you ever fail and are you ever carnal? Yes. All of us do. But I would hope, and you deal with, while you deal with me a lot, I would hope there's more maturity in me than carnality. But carnality does have a way to rear its ugly head in all of our lives. And you know, a lot of times when it rears its head, in my mind, when pride kicks in. Like, who do they think they are? And then you got to be very careful because the carnality's like, you're going to tell them who they are. And that, they're God's child. They belong to God. And God's been very patient and loving with me. And I should be patient and loving with those that I deal with. That's what a mature Christian says. And sometimes I love it when I do it that way. And then there are other times I fail at it. And I'm not asking anybody to be perfect because I'm not perfect. But a lot of times, the fighting and the divisions that we have is a sign of immaturity. And I would encourage each of us to mature in our walk with God and to grow in the things of God. Because, we, and you got to understand, we talk about the church, it's like a family. It is a family. I mentioned last service, and I, I, there's five siblings in my family, and five of us total. And we're all Pattisons, and we're so strong-headed and stubborn. It's just something, and I would say, probably my sister is the most stubborn of all. But she had to put up with my two older brothers, and she's the only girl in the family. She has to be the stubborn one, the most stubborn. She has to, to make it as long as she's made it in life. But a lot of families don't get along well. And we don't get along because of pride and things like that as well. And I would encourage you, I said last service, I would encourage you, the family God's given you, enjoy the family you have. Enjoy the time you get to spend together. Say, but, oh, you just don't know my, I know, I know. There are, and, but it's good for brethren to dwell together in unity. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? And man, it's so much better when my family all gets together and everything's good. Where we're like, when it's done, we need to do this more often. I could say there's been times in the past where no one said that. But the past several times, we need to do this more often. And I don't know what it was, maybe my mom getting sick like she's gotten to, but it's made a difference with it. And we enjoy being together. It should be the same with God's family. God brings you to a church. You shouldn't be dreading running into so-and-so when you come to church. You should just love them the way that Christ loves you and just seek to get along. And a lot of times the best way to get along with people is just to keep your opinions to yourself. And then, because you realize some people don't want your opinion, and then some people do. And that's where I'm trying to learn, too. 
to give my opinion to the ones who want it and then not give it to the ones that don't want it. I'm still learning that in my marriage. Is my wife coming to me for my opinion here or does she just want me to listen? And most of the time I get it backwards. I think this is the time she just wants me to listen. And then I, what you need to do for me is when you come up, give me your opinion or just listen. Just say that at the beginning. That will save me a lot. Because I'll be sitting there and I'll be like just thinking. I'm like, well, what's your opinion? Oh, oh, I'm supposed to give it this time. And then there's other times where it's the opposite. But it's like that with God. A lot of people don't want our opinion. So just love people. Be good to them. You say, but pastor, I've, been, I've tried. They're just hard. I'm sure we were hard for the Lord too. And he still loves us. And a mature believer is going to practice those things. An immature believer is going to fight and have issues. Will be like children on the playground when it shouldn't be that way. 